This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. Senator Kelly Stargell's bill requiring minors to get permission from their parents before obtaining an abortion is approved with a bit of help from the God Squad. Florida's First Lady, man the head of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, say it's time to tackle the problem of suicides by first responders. A Senate committee approves a bill creating incentives for TV, film, and digital media producers who do their projects in Florida. They all received a posthumous pardon from the Clemency Board this year, but the surviving family members of the Groveland Four say the governor and the cabinet should go even further and exonerate the men. We'll also have your calendar of events and the latest from Florida Man, or in this case, the Florida woman who ran down her ex and his current girlfriend. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, December 11th. A bill forcing underage girls to get consent from at least one parent before they can have an abortion has been approved by the Health Policy Committee in the Florida Senate. The God Squad was out in force at this hearing. A woman who identified herself as Pastor Wendy told lawmakers God was watching them. We're praying for you guys. Even if we didn't vote for you, we're praying for you because you're in an awesome responsibility. And the same way he gave the family a mandate to be the family that leads their children. So parents have a mandate from God, and whether they do the job they're supposed to do, they're still in the position, not government, to do that. Shedding of innocent blood is an abomination, and it brings a curse upon the land and upon the individual that stands for that. Greg Pound, a gadfly lobbyist best known for being cut off by committee chairs when he starts to ramble, played the God cart. He also used the white genocide theory to argue in favor of the bill. This Planned Parenthood organization started this abortion mill industry with the intent of wiping out the African-American families and people in general. And it's worked so well on them that now they're applied it to the white Caucasian race. They've been so thorough in convincing us that children are a bad idea. And I think all of us should be glad that we were born. Every one of us in this room should be glad. If I could have children as a man, I would have as many as I could produce. And that's no joke. I mean, I love children, and I would have as many as I can. I have eight children, but I'd like to have eight more if I could, if I could, you know. We, we have to realize that we've been brainwashed into believing into a system that's genociding us as a people and as a nation. Anthony Canoni with Abolish Abortion Florida argued against the parental notice bill because he doesn't think it goes far enough. He says anything short of banning abortion violates the word of his God. We fervently exhort you to revise SB 404 in obedience to the word of God. You have disobeyed the direct written word of the Lord Almighty by not only tolerating, but um, even prescribing specific terms COVID murder can be committed. We warn you in the strongest possible terms that your support of this bill will be seen by our creator as a detestable abomination. We urgently remind you that your authority comes from God. Romans 13.4 says you are to be God's ministers and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. God takes very seriously your solemn duty to protect every innocent life. Isaiah 10.1 says, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune, which they have prescribed. SB 104 is an unrighteous decree. We plead with you, please revise 404 to abolish all abortion from conception without exception. And then you had Kara Gross with the ACLU of Florida who opposed the bill, but it had nothing to do with God. She was more down to earth. That is more concerned with the impact on people. SP 404 is contrary to the will of Floridians, contrary to established precedent, contrary to the medical opinion of leading healthcare professionals, and dangerous to minors. 
It is an undue burden on a young woman's constitutional right to determine for herself whether and when to become a parent. If a parent won't consent and the minor isn't able to go to court or isn't able to convince a judge, under this bill, the child will be forced to have a child. No child should be forced to have a child against her will. There is no greater governmental intrusion. This bill creates an absurd situation where a minor may be deemed too immature to make decisions about her pregnancy, yet mature enough to become a parent. Let's be clear, this bill has nothing to do with ensuring a parent has knowledge of their minor's pregnancy. Florida statutes already require a parent be notified prior to an abortion. In fact, this bill actually makes it less likely a minor will involve their parents. If a minor thinks their parent won't consent and thus they will be forced to have a child, that minor is not going to speak to their parents. Mandating parental consent puts at-risk kids at greater risk of harm. Unfortunately, not all children in Florida have support of nurturing parents. Last year alone, DCF investigated over 130,000 cases of child abuse, abandonment, and neglect. If a minor does not want to have a child, they will find a way to make sure they don't. And they aren't, if they aren't able to access the care they need, they are going to do it in a less safe way. This bill won't prevent abortions. It will prevent safe and legal abortions and greatly endanger our youth. When all the talking was done, Kelly Stargell's parental notice bill was approved by the committee. For now, it appears the only thing that might stop lawmakers from passing this bill would be, believe it or not, an act of God. Florida's First Lady joins police and firefighters to try to understand the crushing mental health issues emergency responders can face as a result of the trauma and stress they see on the job. Casey DeSantis and Department of Law Enforcement Commissioner Rick Swearingen led meetings to begin drafting statewide practices to acknowledge and respond to what Commissioner Swearingen called the dirty little secret, that more first responders die from suicide than they do in the line of duty. There are no firm recommendations yet, but DeSantis and Swearingen promise to continue discussions and work for more widespread recognition of the problem. The Commerce Committee in the Florida Senate approves a bill to revive state subsidies for film, TV, and digital media production. The Sunshine State used to be a player in the business, but John Lux with Film Florida told the committee that ended when the state allowed its film incentive program to expire. Florida has lost more than 70 major film and television projects in recent years. Those projects would have spent more than $1.3 billion in Florida, provided more than 110,000 cast and crew jobs for Floridians, would have used more than 220,000 hotel room nights, and led to millions of dollars in tax revenues. Unfortunately, since Florida's pro program lapsed under Governor Scott, those projects went elsewhere, taking money out of the pockets of Florida residents, companies, and tax coffers, sending it directly to states like Georgia and Texas. The majority of our in industry in Florida is independent contractors and small businesses, so every penny counts. Since July, we've collected 10 pages of names of individuals that have worked in our industry and either moved out of Florida or need to spend significant time out of state to try and make a living. There are also thousands of students every year graduating from our colleges and universities with film or digital media degrees only to leave Florida to find jobs. We want to keep the century of infrastructure, history, generations, and of course the next generation of industry professionals here in Florida. Today, all but 17 states have some sort of program to entice film and television projects to their states. Florida is the only state in the southeast without a program, leaving us at a huge competitive disadvantage. But the good news is we don't need as lucrative a program as other <coughs> states because we, have, we are a low-tax state, have a di di diverse array of locations, and a strong media infrastructure dating back to Governor Bush's investment in the industry. We're very excited to support Chairman Gruder's SB 530, 
We believe this rebate program will bring jobs back to Florida. There has never been more content available to viewers. That means there has never been more private money available to create that content. We just need to compete for it. If we do that, more content will be made here in Florida, creating jobs for Floridians, diversifying our economy, and showing off our state on a large, small, and mobile screen. Members, Florida has come back before and will do it again. As the Executive Director of Film Florida, I'm committed to working with legislators and stakeholders to send a signal that despite recent losses, Florida is open for business and wants to compete for a high-wage jobs in the film, television, and digital media industry. The chief opposition to this bill comes from Americans for Prosperity, the lobbying group founded by the Koch brothers. Philip Suderman with AFP Florida told the committee it's welfare, pure and simple. The stated purpose of SB 530 is to, quote, boost the state's economic prosperity, unquote. Unfortunately, this seems rather unlikely to happen. At the heart of SB 530 is the film, television, and digital media targeted rebate program, which would award up to $2 million per qualified film, television, or digital media project. This is a handout from the state using taxpayer dollars to give to targeted businesses. This is corporate welfare. Florida has tried to use film programs before to poor results. A previous program, which was allowed to sunset in 2016, yielded a paltry 43 cents in returns revenue for every dollar the state spent. And a 2018 report by the Office of Economic and Demographic Research showed the Florida Entertainment Industry Financial Incentive Program generated a return on investment of only 18 cents in 2018. That means for every dollar invested, only 18 cents was received back. That same report showed a 43 cent return in 2015. Slightly better, but still an overall loss. Instead of corporate welfare handouts involving taxpayer dollars that will almost certainly provide poor returns, government should offer pro-market solutions for economic growth, such as removing unnecessary regulations and fees that can hinder a firm's ability to operate. Americans for Prosperity Florida and our activists believe strongly in eliminating corporate welfare. It is for this reason that I ask for your opposition of SB 530. The bill is sponsored by Senator Joe Gruders of Sarasota, who says this is not welfare. He calls it an investment. This is not a handout. This is... This is extremely important in Florida because we are losing billions of dollars every year. It's not just the immediate economic impact uh, from the numbers that you heard. It's the resi residual value that, as Floridians, everybody benefits from, from the, the tourism and everything else that's generated later on. 60% uh, of the cast and crew has to be from Florida, and these are high-paying jobs. In my district alone, we have numerous studios that some, a lot of times sit idly by, uh, because uh, the sunshine and low taxes, low tax environment just isn't enough. We have to be able to compete. Uh, this provides the structure. It doesn't provide the money. It just provides the structure to set up this rebate program, and I encourage everybody to support it. The committee approved his bill, but it has a long way to go. And even if it passes, that's only half the battle because there is no specific appropriation to pay for any of those incentives. That is a separate battle that will have to play out in the budget committees. Next up, we'll hear from family members of the Groveland Four. The young black men were accused of raping a white woman in 1949. It's one of the most notorious cases of racial injustice in Florida's long history of shame. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. A lot of people give their opinions on politics and not just the talking heads on cable news. Everyone has an opinion. Sometimes a gentleman's wager can be the best way to tell how much someone believes their own spin. That's why you should check out what Predict It is doing. Predict It is like the stock market, but for politics. Instead of buying and selling oil futures, you can buy and sell shares in everything from who the Democratic nominee will be to if the president will be impeached. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. 
Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Shortly after he took office in January, Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida cabinet voted as the executive clemency board to pardon the Groveland Four, who were accused of raping a white woman in Lake County 70 years ago. But Representative Geraldine Thompson says a pardon is not enough because that means you're forgiven for a crime. What she wants is a full exoneration. So I am here uh, to say that we want to carry the baton across the finish line and to see the uh, men who were falsely accused, falsely convicted, uh, falsely imprisoned, who were killed. We want to see their names cleared. And we are demanding exoneration today for the Groveland Four. Senator Gary Farmer says the case of the Groveland Four was a travesty of justice and that the events that occurred back in 1949 still haunt the Sunshine State. I don't think it can be understated the heinous, reprehensible nature of this case. It is just a racially based stain on our entire state and our entire state's history. It is time for this governor and this cabinet to exonerate these men. They are deserving of that. For these families to have lived with this stigma of these unjust charges and in some cases unjust convictions of a process that was rigged against them. Governor, cabinet, the time is now. It is there in front of you. Give these families the closure and the peace to which they are entitled. Exonerate these men and remove this stain from Florida's history. One of the people waiting for exoneration is Beverly Robinson. Her cousin, Sam Shepard, was shot and killed by the sheriff of Lake County after the U.S. Supreme Court decided he deserved a new trial. It is our hope, our prayer, that this time around, our family members will get full exoneration. As far as we are concerned, there's been enough talking for my first cousin, Sam Shepard, who was killed at the hands of Willis McCall, who decided he was the judge, the jury, and the executioner. So we thank you today for everything that you all are doing, have done in the past, and we look forward to being present at the exoneration. Carol Greenlee's father, Charles, was just 16 years old when he was swept up by the white mob. He was paroled in 1962, but spent most of his life in prison for a crime he did not commit. Greenlee died in 2012, the last of the Groveland Four. And now today, I asked, on the grave of my father, please, state of Florida, please exonerate him. He was not there, he was tortured, and for the last 70 years, and I would say 67 years that I can remember, I wished that my father could have been at my graduation. I wished that I could have held his hand going to football games, but he wasn't there because he was in prison. State of Florida, please. Do the right thing. After 70 years, please exonerate 
the Groveland Four. When the clemency board voted to pardon the Groveland Four, the governor said he would have his legal staff investigate the possibility of exoneration. It's been almost a year now. The families are still waiting to hear back. Your calendar of events today starts at 8.30 in the Knott Building as the House Health Quality Subcommittee takes up a bill by Representative Carrie Pigman of Avon Park that would allow advanced practice registered nurses to work independently of physicians. The House Local, Federal and Veterans Affairs Subcommittee meets at 9 to consider a bill from Representative Spencer Roach of North Fort Myers that would prevent local governments from banning certain types of sunscreens. The Senate Military and Veterans Affairs and Space Committee meets at 10 in the Senate Office Building to hear presentations about programs to help provide housing for injured veterans. The House Agriculture and Natural Resources Subcommittee meets at 12.30 in the House Office Building to hear a bill by Representative Kristen Jacobs of Coconut Creek that would ban the import, export, and sale of shark fins in Florida. The House Transportation and Infrastructure Subcommittee meets at 12.30 to consider a bill that increases penalties for motorists who do not stop for school buses that are picking up or dropping off kids. The Senate Criminal and Civil Justice Appropriations Sub meets at 1.30 to take up a bill by Senator Rob Bradley of Fleming Island that would make changes in drug-related sentencing. The House Insurance and Banking Subcommittee meets at 4 to take up a bill by Representative Elizabeth Federhoff of DeLand that creates a program aimed at helping reduce the exposure of firefighters to cancer-causing materials. The House Pre-K-12 Innovation Subcommittee meets at 4 to talk about a proposal requiring Florida High School Athletic Association to take a series of steps to try to prevent heat strokes among student-athletes. And the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission will review a 10-year bear management plan, which outlines several possible techniques, including hunting, to maintain the bear population in the state and reduce human interactions. The FWC meeting at the Edgewater Beach Resort in Panama City starts at 8.30 in the morning. And it's time once again for the adventures of Florida Woman. Yep, you heard me right. Police in Miami say a Florida woman ran over the father of her child while he and his girlfriend were walking to the parent pickup at school. Investigators say 28-year-old Melissa Nozeal deliberately ran over Ivan Huerta and Stephanie Cambridge. She suffered large cuts to her head, face, wrist, as well as road rash on her arm. Huerta suffered cuts and bruises to his face and forearm and actually had to have his right ear surgically reattached. Mom is charged with two counts of aggravated assault, but prosecutors may end up filing attempted murder charges. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.